Hey folks, Preet here. There are many developments in the cases and investigations involving former President Donald Trump. Special Counsel Jack Smith has informed Trump that he is a target in DOJ's January 6th investigation. Meanwhile, a federal judge in Florida has set a May 2024 trial date for the classified documents criminal case. And a federal judge in New York clarified a jury's recent decision in the E. Jean Carroll case. In other news, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel charged 16 pro-Trump fake electors who sought to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in that state. Joyce Vance and I discuss all that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other exclusive content, try the Cafe Insider membership. For a limited time, we're offering a special deal. The annual membership is now 40% off for the first year. To sign up, head to cafe.com slash insider and use the special discount code JUSTICE. That's cafe.com slash insider discount code JUSTICE. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So let's talk about the substance as we understand it. People will recall that the January 6th committee did a lot of work. And by multiple accounts, reporting and accounts by people who were involved, it seems that it was a little bit of a kick in the rear to the Department of Justice that got its act together. Merrick Garland appointed Jack Smith the special counsel. They caught up, as far as we can tell, and are on the cusp of bringing this case. Now, the January 6th committee made a referral to the Department of Justice and named certain statutes that they believed were violated by Donald Trump and others. The target letter, which we have not seen, but purportedly has reference to three statutes, two of which were among the referral statutes by the January 6th committee. That's conspiracy to defraud the United States, corrupt obstruction of an official proceeding that we've seen, that we've talked about. We can talk about that a little bit more now if you want. But there's a new statute that hasn't been much in the dialogue and discussion relating to Donald Trump, and that is Section 241. You have, I think, a good deal of familiarity with 241. You want to tell folks what that is? We actually use 242 a lot in my district, which is sort of a related civil rights charge often used for police misconduct or for anyone acting, quote, under color of law, a police officer, a judge, someone using their official position to violate the civil rights of other people. 241 is less used, but a much better fit for this situation. For one thing, 242 is a misdemeanor, unless there's bodily harm, not not just in the sense that people were harmed during the insurrection, but in the sense that a defendant or a co-conspirator was responsible for that bodily injury. So just looking at the optics um, on the statutes, it seems more likely that 241 would be the choice of the government here. And that's a section of the code that makes it a crime for people to conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States. It's a post-Civil War statute. It was enacted to let federal agents deal with folks, Ku Klux Klan members, who engaged in terroristic efforts to prevent Black people from voting. 
over the years, it's had in some ways a checkered history. In some ways, it's been used in my home state of Alabama and other places to tamp down on what the political right refers to as, quote, voter fraud, which sometimes involves groups of people trying to do things like work together to obtain absentee ballots for people for whom it's difficult to vote. But that said, this statute may well be a good fit for a lot of different kinds of conduct in, in this case. The one thing, Preet, that I can't really narrow down with any certainty is precisely what the focus of the 241 charge would be if there's going to be one, because there are so many good candidates in Trump's conduct. Well, it could be there could be many. So as you point out, 241 relates to intimidating or threatening or, or oppressing a person in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured by the Constitution. And here, that right or privilege would be the right to vote and the right to have one's vote counted. So our speculation is not really speculation because there have been cases brought in recent times, uh, as well as further back in the past, that relate to people falsely casting ballots under the statute on the theory that by doing that, you're diluting the vote of other people and hurting the vote and rights to vote of other people, which is precisely what we have here in a number of respects, don't we? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And particularly this notion of the right to have your vote counted is critically important, especially in light of what we saw happening in Georgia, in Fulton County, where Trump and Trump's folks were involved in this effort to interfere with the vote count by claiming that it was violative of the law and by identifying to Georgia election workers, Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shay Moss, and alleging that they were engaged in all kinds of nefarious conduct when, in fact, they were, in, in essence, private citizens working in an election. So there's some very interesting and, and very current DOJ precedent, so, so current that you almost have to wonder if this case wasn't I mean, this is a righteous case that should have been charged, but it almost feels like a signal. It's a case involving Douglas Mackey. He has an interesting spelling of his first name, two S's on the end of Douglas, which for months I thought was a typo and finally realized was the real spelling of his name. But Mr. Mackey was one of these right-wing, high-profile Twitter users. And one of the things that he was doing, it was the first time I'd seen it on the internet. It's something I saw a lot of in real life in elections in Alabama, he was tweeting, gearing it towards progressives, saying that they could vote by sending a text message or voting online, which of course is not true. The historical incarnation was mailers sent to black neighborhoods in Alabama that would say Republicans vote on X date, and that would be the correct date for the election, and Democrats vote on the following Tuesday in an effort to keep people from voting. Here, Mr. Mackey actually gets charged under 18 U.S. Code 241 because he's using social media platforms to disseminate misinformation that's designed to deprive individuals of their right to vote. And that may well be a good marker for what's to come from the special counsel. Taking some of the conduct on the part of Donald Trump, do you think it's fair that just his demand to Mike Pence, the former vice president, to change the vote or not to certify the vote in the Congress on January 6th, that that itself is an attempt to violate Section 241? You know, I'm less sure about that piece. I'm confident that that would violate 
18 U.S. Code 371, the conspiracy statute, or 18 U.S. Code 1512, the corrupt obstruction of an official proceeding statute. It seems focused there. I'm less certain about that as a standalone 241 count. I think it might be used in combination with other pieces. But like I say, my my crystal ball is not very good here. What about the fake electors? We're going to talk about the state of Michigan's case against false electors, 16 false electors. A scheme to use false electors also would violate 241, no? Yes, that feels very much like a core 241 violation to me because the essence of the conduct there is to prevent people's votes from counting. And I think that has to be the right that 241 would get at. I'm, I'm just going to flag without making any effort to resolve it. One potential issue, which is that the Constitution doesn't actually guarantee people a right to vote. There's not a provision in the Constitution that says you get to vote. Yeah, that is correct. It dances all around it. It's implicitly there. It's got to be there. But if ever there was a defendant who wanted to make lost cause arguments, it would be Trump. And so that's something prosecutors, I have no doubt, are on top of. But it's an interesting wrinkle. Some of our friends and colleagues and former colleagues put together a very impressive prosecution memo detailing the conduct that could be seen to violate various laws and identifying statutes. Was 241 in that Pross memo? 241 did not make it into that Pross memo. And I think, although some people had discussed it as a possibility after we saw what was going on in Georgia, even in advance of January 6 itself, it had really dropped off the radar screen. And it was quite a surprise when news broke, of course, via that incredibly reliable source, Donald Trump. So do you think the likelihood is, maybe we'll know in a matter of days, if not hours, 241 is on the bingo card? Yeah, I think it definitely is. And and I'll count myself in on that number of people who early on had thought that it might be a possibility as we looked at Trump's efforts to manipulate vote counts in Georgia. That was, I think, maybe because of my background here, the, one of the first statutes that jumped into my mind. There's not a statute in the letter. That doesn't mean that it won't be charged. They don't have to be comprehensive in the letter. But a statute we've talked about a lot here and with which the Department of Justice in recent times has had a good deal of success. And that is, Joyce, seditious conspiracy. That is. And that's interestingly enough, not mentioned, at least from what we know. Not mentioned. Why do you think that is? The statute makes it a crime to assist or engage in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws. It was a particularly aggressive move, I think, for the committee to suggest this charge. The reason is that DOJ hasn't brought an insurrection charge in really any of the, you know, the 900 or so criminal prosecutions relating to January 6th. It only comes into play when we get to folks like the Oath Keepers who are very clearly engaging in the use of force. And imputing that to Trump is tough unless there's a witness we don't know about who says, you know, the president wanted us to pass out guns to people. I mean, there's just no evidence like that on the public radar screen. Yes, you can make the argument that he assisted or gave comfort to these people by failing to act for the whatever it is, 187 minutes during the insurrection that he stood silent. And the committee, I thought, made a very compelling argument in that regard 
the appellate lawyer in me shrinks a little bit and would prefer to see something a little bit more tested, a little bit more readily affirmable. But, you know, this is, as we always say, unprecedented territory. Sometimes you have to make unprecedented charges in unprecedented territory. And it wouldn't be completely outside of the ballpark if if Smith indicted something along these lines. You know, there are a lot of people that are saying that maybe they'll indict Trump as a standalone first and then come back and in, indict other people. And that's why grand jury is still being scheduled. I think that that's sort of nuts, but you might have a different <laughs> view. I don't know if it's nuts, but, you know, generally speaking, you bring the case that makes sense. To you. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and become a member for 40% off for the first year using the special discount code JUSTICE. That's cafe.com slash insider, and the discount code is JUSTICE. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.